Bonnie Glazer, Director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing China's evolving role in global supply chains. As the COVID-19 pandemic has laid bare, in a globalized world, supply chains are critical to the efficient transport of goods around the world, especially in a crisis. Recent events have led to heightened awareness in Japan, France, Germany, the United States, and other countries of China's outsized role in global pharmaceutical supply chains and other supply chains. According to international surveys, numerous companies in select industries are considering shifting some of their production out of China for a variety of economic, political, or ethical reasons. The Trump administration has pushed for American companies to reshore production from China back to the United States, in part to combat China's growing influence in many supply chains. To what extent are companies likely to pull their supply chains out of China? And what will be the potential impact on global manufacturing? To discuss China's role in global supply chains and industry trends regarding shifts in production, I'm joined by Dr. Wang Tao. Dr. Wang is a managing director, chief China economist, and head of Asia Economic Research at UBS Investment Bank. She is also a member of the Mainland Opportunities Committee of the Hong Kong Financial Services Development Council and the Chief China e- Economists Forum. Thanks for joining us today, Tao. Thank you very much for inviting me. So to begin with, can you briefly explain the factors that have enabled China to play such a dominant role in global supply chains? And which supply chains is China most dominant in that potentially affect other countries' national security interests? I would say China plays a very important role in the global supply chain. I wouldn't quite say dominant. So the importance, I think, can be measured to some extent by the share of China's exports in global market, which is about 13 to 14 percent that you know, China is the largest exporter in the world. But in some sectors, such as clothing and shoes and bags, computers and smartphones, and also in some pharmaceutical products, as you mentioned, the share is much higher for China. But important is also that China's role in the supply chain it also produces a lot of intermediate inputs for productions elsewhere, and, and is the final assembler of components and products produced elsewhere at the end product. The key factors behind China's importance in global supply chain is its large size of the economy that has huge labor supply. It has a very large and uh, interconnected manufacturing sector that allows it to produce all kinds of manufacturing goods. It also, of course, is a result of the opening door and reform policies that China have been doing for the last four decades. For example, it lowered average import tariff from about 40% in early 1990s to about 16% just in 2001, just before China joined WTO, and then lowered that further to below 10% after joining WTO. It attracted a lot of foreign direct investment into China. Policies made it easy to open factories and ask for the foreign businesses and, and so on. So over the years, also good infrastructure, stable macroeconomic environment, skilled labor were all important factors, I think, behind China's um, uh, importance in the supply chain. 
The sectors that China is most important in in the supply chain are typically consumer goods. For example, clothing and shoes and toys and consumer electronics such as computers and smartphones, home appliances. And of course, during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we also learned that China produces a lot of inputs in the ph- pharmaceutical industry, uh, as well as facial masks and ventilators and some generic drugs as well. Are there other areas apart from pharmaceuticals that really connect to national security that countries could be worried about? Right. Yeah. So the, recently, the discussion of uh, national security got much more complicated. I think traditionally, one would have thought national security industries refer to uh, military equipment or technologies that can be used in military equipment. And that is why the U.S. and major Western countries still restrict exports of those products to China. But more recently, I think there's been talk about, for example, uh, telecom equipments, like 5G equipments, during COVID-19, then also pharmaceuticals and ventilators. These pharmaceuticals are not even very high tech. It's basic products, right, that people start to think of as national securities, even some softwares and internet. I think the definition of national security just has expanded so much. So your company, UBS Investment Bank, I understand, conducted recent surveys on potential supply chain shifts, and I know you've been studying this. So could you talk a little bit about the main findings regarding companies' intentions to move some or even a significant portion of their operations out of China? Sure. We have conducted a number of CFO surveys of Chinese companies, also uh, North Asia companies, meaning companies from Japan, Korea, Taiwan, as well as U.S. companies that have operations in China. And so our latest one on China was done in March, and we found that 60% of Chinese CFOs of export-related companies said that they have moved or plan to move, continue to move a portion of their production overseas. For North Asian companies, that ratio is significantly higher at around 85%. And for U.S. companies, and the most recent survey was done in May, and that ratio is also close to 85%. So on average, the amount of production these companies say they're going to move are about 30%. And what are the main reasons that they cite in the surveys for the reasons that they intend to move? So these moves are not new. So what we found, we started the survey in late 2018, just around the time that U.S.-China trade war heated up. At that time, about 30% of the Chinese companies, they said they plan to move, and many of them already have operations overseas at that time. And the main reasons for them to move before the trade war heated up were about cost. So about finding a place with cheaper labor costs, cheaper land costs, and also cheaper environmental costs, less strict environmental rules, and trade war and higher tariffs around that time uh, have become an important factor as well. So in 2018, November 2018, the survey found about 30% of people wanted to move. By now we have 60%. I think that 30% increase has been largely driven by the risk related to higher tariffs and trade war vulnerabilities, as well as supply chain restrictions. For example, they worry that if they stay in China, they may not get the necessary ingredients 
from the U.S. or that the ingredients would be subject to higher tariffs because China uh, were retaliating against um, higher U.S. tariffs as well. The more recent survey also showed for the North Asian companies, about 44% said the COVID-19 situation has increased their intention to move. Even though I think at that time, this is in March, of course, the global situation were not that dire and in China, there was a lot of disruptions. So I'm not sure how the answers would differ now if we ask the same question. Do you think that the COVID-19 pandemic is going to have really profound impact on supply chains over time? So that, as you said, it's been a few months since you did this survey. Do you think that the way things are shaping up, that we're going to see more companies that are going to want to move. And particularly, you know, how do you think this is going to impact the Chinese economy? Right. I think the COVID-19 situation definitely has a profound impact on supply chain, on consumer behaviors, on companies' general thinking think about their strategy globally. Part of this is that it really revealed the vulnerabilities of supply chain resilience. Supply chain had been lengthened with the globalization, with the integration in the world economy. Uh, that means you have production everywhere in many places. If one place have a problem, then you face a certain kind of risk of disruption. There's also, of course, the risk that you rely too much on one sources. So the second thing is that COVID-19, I think, brought out more sort of political pressure, almost like a knee-jerk reaction to that, oh, we have a national security issue with medical supplies, for example. There's a wider concern and wider definition of national security issues so that may put political pressure on companies to reshore as well. And third part of that COVID-19 impact is, as I mentioned, the consumer behaviors may be changing. I think even in China with uh, mobility restriction gone for months now, by and large, people's behavior are not back to fully normal. They're not dining out as much as before. And certainly international travel are extremely restricted for various reasons. And so one thing, for example, for luxury goods uh, sales, this is doing very well in China because Chinese consumers cannot go to Europe or Hong Kong or US to travel and buy those things. So therefore, I think luxury companies may rethink about putting some of their supply chain in China closer to the market. So I think this combination of reasons are going to have profound impact on supply chain shift. Which sectors do you think are most inclined to move their production out of China? And which ones are we likely to see remain in China, regardless of political tensions and geopolitical developments? Right. So I think given the key reasons for people, for companies to move, had been traditionally about cost. There was a reason they moved to China in the last 20 years for a cheaper place to produce, and now they're seeking other cheaper places to produce. So that tend to be labor-intensive sectors, for example, clothing and shoes, and also some of the assembly stuff, including in the consumer electronics. But the additional reason in the last couple of years have been higher tariffs, supply chain restrictions, for example, export restrictions on technology, on semiconductors, and so on. So uh, companies in those areas, so IT hardware, IT software, 
and consumer electronics are also more inclined to move. And pharmaceutical industry, I think, because of the recent COVID-19, some of them may also move. Whereas companies, I think, tend to serve the local market. China, of course, is a very large and rising market, and more towards services areas tend to stay. For example, furniture and also industrial machinery and equipment, because China is still very much a country, an economy that is going through rapid industrialization. Basic materials or the materials industries, such as steel and so on, those kind of industries are going to stay. And then, as I mentioned, luxury goods and services like financial services are going to stay. How would you describe some of the potential consequences of a reduction in China's role in manufacturing supply chains, either for China or for other countries? Right. To the extent that China is less integrated in the global supply chain because of the moves because of political pressures and trade war worries, there are a few consequences. In the case that China becomes less integrated in the global manufacturing supply chain, China may export and import less than otherwise would. Global trade would shrink or grow less than the overall economy. So there's a reversal of globalization. For companies, if the move is more due to tariffs or political risks, and less about naturally seeking a cheaper place to produce, that means the move is going to be less efficient, more costly. That also means a higher cost for the consumers in the end. For China, the less integration into the global economy, I think would also mean slower productivity growth. And you know, over the longer term, it also means less cross-fertilization of ideas, of innovation and so on. So I think it also means slower potential growth, uh, both for China, but also for the world. Just imagine the companies are moving their production out of fear or out of higher tariffs, not out of their own sort of commercial reasons. That means higher costs and less efficiency. Japan created a $2.2 billion fund several months ago that is intended to encourage Japanese companies to pull their supply chains out of China, either to reshore them to Japan or uh, go to other countries. Can you talk about what the impact has been so far, whether Japanese companies are beginning to move some of their production, and whether you think other countries might take this kind of step. The United States, of course, has talked up a big game, but has not yet put any money forward to try and provide incentives for companies to move production out of China. Japanese companies, like other Korean companies, Taiwan companies, have been also very much involved in this process of relocating their supply chain globally in the past many years. And certainly at this time, as you mentioned, the Japanese government has this $2.2 billion uh, fund to incentivize Japanese companies to reshore. So a couple of days ago, the government just released the data that for these uh, funds, right now they have received 1,670 companies' applications uh, with a total amount about $17 billion, so far exceeding the $2.2 billion budget. So that shows a strong interest. The final approval is going to be released, I think, sometime in October. The current budget probably is going to be limited to 2.2 billion, but maybe if the Japanese government has a supplementary budget, they can enlarge that. 
So it does show there is strong interest. But to put things in context, this 2.2 billion, if they subsidize half of the investment, so that means they can leverage up. This affects about $4.4 billion of investment in Japan. That's 0.5% of investment in Japan. So its macroeconomic impact is not huge, but certainly it's an added incentive. Other economies, uh, such as South Korea and Taiwan, also have incentives about giving tax breaks for companies moving production to their home economy. And as you mentioned, U.S., Uh, have talked about it, and I've heard that there could be something in the fourth stimulus package, so we shall see. I think at the moment, the companies that are operating in China already face a lot of uncertainty, but at the same time, they have been hit by COVID-19, both their revenues and their outlook. So I'm not sure they are in a rush to move at the moment. Over the longer term, they may move, but at the moment, I think they're probably trying to find ways to survive and to stabilize. I'm curious about the connections between China's role in global supply chains and the U.S.-China trade war. Do you think that this is an area where the United States is actually trying to take punitive actions against China? And is Beijing also trying to use its important role or dominance in many supply chains as leverage over the United States? Well, I think China's role in the global supply chain definitely has had an impact on the U.S.-China trade war. First of all, China is the largest exporter in the world, and especially in consumer goods. So it's very out in the open for the general public, for Americans. They see that a lot of the goods they buy are from China. And also, China being the last assembler of many of the products, even though much of the value added may not be produced in China, for example, iPhone and iPad, a lot of the key components are actually produced in Japan, Korea, Taiwan. Of course, the highest value added is the design and the ideas, and that's in the US and so on. But people associate that's a production from China, even though everybody had played a role, right? China is only one link in that supply chain. But that outsized role, I think, may exaggerate in the minds of politicians or general public of the importance or even dominance of China in the supply chain. And so I think to that extent, it may have led to this focus of bilateral deficit. We import so much from China and there's a huge bilateral deficit from China. So that may have accentuated these hawkish views against China and leading to U.S.-China trade war. So that's one thing. And U.S., of course, has used its dominance because compared to China, although China exports more than the U.S., but U.S. exports often are the critical components that you cannot live without, without the chip the semiconductor chip, other parts are not important. You can produce all the cases and so on, right? And a smartphone or a computer equipment cannot exist without the core. So in that case, I think the U.S. has used its dominance in especially uh, some of these high-tech areas to try to punish China. In response, I think China has been more measured. Of course, it did raise tariffs in response to higher U.S. tariffs, but it has not to date really use its role in supply chain to punish the U.S. I think the reason is that China still very much embraces the idea of globalization. It has been the biggest beneficiary of globalization. 
it still wants to move in that way and it wants to attract U.S. companies to stay in China, to come into China. And so it does not want to go that route to uh, punish U.S. companies or the U.S. through the supply chain. Finally, I'd like to ask a little bit about Hong Kong and the new national security law in Hong Kong and how this is having an effect or might in the future have an effect on global supply chains. We know the U.S. has already started to impose some restrictions on doing business in Hong Kong. There's still, I think, uncertainty. Uh, Businesses don't like uncertainty. But we don't know whether this is just going to have an impact, this new law, mostly on the political environment or whether businesses will be affected. And so I'm curious if you think that this is going to have an effect on supply chains in the future. The U.S. revoked the special treatment on Hong Kong, and those mainly include export controls. So if Hong Kong was an exception, from China in that certain products can be exported to Hong Kong when it cannot be exported to China. And also customs regime, that means Hong Kong may face the same kind of tariff as China does, and also cooperation in law enforcement and so on. So these measures, I think, should not have much impact on supply chain, mainly because Hong Kong does not really have much manufacturing left, and certainly not high-tech manufacturing. And also, 99% of Hong Kong's exports are re-exports, which tariffs of their origin economy applies and not the tariffs of special treatment from the U.S. on Hong Kong. So their impact on Hong Kong is quite limited. The biggest concern, I think, for the business communities here is whether the U.S. would really impose financial sanctions or sanctions on financial institutions, because Hong Kong, of course, is an international financial center. And that, of course, will hurt Hong Kong banks and Chinese banks, as well as international financial institutions, U.S. ones included. So I think there's definitely that concerns there. I think the impact of U.S. policy change on Hong Kong is probably better put in the context of U.S.-China relations. I think companies will see this as if U.S.-China relations has deteriorated to a such extent that U.S. is willing to weaponize its dominance in the financial sector and the dollar and so on against China, then we're going to live in a a world of much heightened risk. So a lot of companies may rethink about their location. So some of these financial institutions may also want to move, although they probably will not move back to U.S. because they are here to serve the regional economy. We've been talking with Dr. Wang Tao, who is a managing director, chief China economist, and head of Asia Economic Research at UBS Investment Bank. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you.